The truth burst and grew inside him, and it was laid upon him to share with no one. No one was meant to see hell before they got there. Chapter 12, page 89, The Dream Thieves. Hi, I'm Shannon. And I'm Navita. And, and we're, we're the, the Raven, Raven Girls. Girls. Welcome to our Raven Cycle Podcast. Where we talk about six dysfunctional teenagers and four dysfunctional adults who are acting like teenagers. Hormones everywhere. Double entendres. Bad flirting via caffeinated beverages. <laughs> this is episode 19 and we're covering chapters 12 through 14 of The Dream Thieves. We will also be taking a deep dive on the triple goddess. Disclaimers. This is an analysis podcast. We'll be discussing the Raven Cycle as a cycle. This means we are spoilerific, so you'll probably want to have read the books before listening. We'll use pronunciations from the audiobooks and page except numbers. Except for Niall. Do I? <laughs> I said except for Niall. Oh. <laughs> nope, start over. <laughs> this means we are spoilerific, so you probably want to have read the books before listening. We'll use the pronunciations from the audiobooks, and page numbers will be referenced from the paperback editions. And a disclaimer from me, this podcast has a Teen Plus rating. There will be canon levels of adult content, including Ronan swearing, 300 Foxway drinking, Kavinsky lewdness, and hopefully no gray man violence. Nope, not this time. Not this time. <laughs> All, right. All the rest of them appear, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he's there. It's just not violent. That's true. All right, let's get into the episode. Okie dokie. Quick announcement. Our giveaway will indeed start on January 22nd, 2019. This time around, we will have some Raven Girls book bags, bookmarks, and the original art pieces from Jamieism. So please keep an eye out when that's announced. It's all very exciting. <laughs> all right. All right. Chapter 12. It's a blue and Ronin POV. Blue is smudged out of her own room by her Aunt Jimmy and discovers someone has been scrying in Neve's old attic room. Ronan goes to church where he discovers Declan's busted up face. Suddenly, he's in a much better mood. Declan lies about burglars and tells Ronan to stay away from Kavinsky. This warning is upheld for about an hour when he immediately goes hunting for Kay to give him the sunglasses from his dream the night before. <laughs> The chapter starts out with Blue mentioning she's perusing her school summer reading. Does anyone really have summer reading homework? I never did. Uh, don't ask me. I was one of those dorks that flunked out of class and had to take summer school. Aww. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't care. It's I like, was much yeah. like Ronan. I really didn't care I, about I read, school. I read for pleasure all summer, but I don't remember yeah. having like a specific... So did I. I went to summer school, but I didn't actually do these <laughs> classes. We basically sat in the library and I read oh, science man. fiction. The description of Jimmy here, tall and curvy and clumsy, prone to saying things that aren't curse words, but managing to sound worse, makes me want to hang out with her. Mm -hmm. And I also like the playful banter between them in that scene. Mm -hmm. The first time I heard someone say cheese and rice, <laughs> I completely lost my shit laughing. <laughs> At the time, it seemed like the best thing I had ever heard in my life. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. Jimmy comes through saying that she's smudging to get rid of the bad energy that that terrible woman left. Blue thinks that terrible woman was Blue's half-aunt, mm -hmm. which begs the question whether or not Neve is Jimmy's half-sister. I think we talked about this yeah. a little bit in episode one. It's, it's like, really difficult to tell how the interactions work. Yeah, the family tree is. Yeah, the family connection. <laughs> 
smudging was the practice of using the smoke of sympathetic herbs to clear negative energy. Accurate. Definitely. Personally, Blue thought there must be better ways to get on a plant's good side than by setting it on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this seems kind of intuitive to me as well. Yeah. And then Jimmy <laughs> says, cleanse the soul of this young woman before me and give her some common sense. <laughs> this very much reminds me of Maura's sense uh-huh, of humor. Absolutely. It mentions she's using lavender and sage and like, yep, those are commonly used for smudging. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with the magical properties of mugwort. Is mm-hmm. it actually a mild hallucinogen? I know it's used for depression. Mugwort is in the Artemisia family, which includes daisies, chrysanthemums, chamomile, and wormwood. Interesting. Yeah. So okay. it's all in the same family. And I know I have wormwood in the back. I don't know if I have mugwort, but I believe I did at one point. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy very sullenly says, no, you're mother wouldn't let me use mugwort. <laughs> I wonder if Mora and Jimmy's relationship is just like their daughters. I, it sounds like it might be. Yeah. And then Blue thinks that she didn't want to be responsible for getting Gansy and Adam a little high, and then that Adam might be improved by something that took the edge off. Wow, really? Yeah, that's kind of harsh. Yeah. Yeah, she wonders if he was ever going to say sorry, but this literally only happened yesterday, and I wonder if they've really had the chance to talk. Exactly. And I'm amused by Blue seeming at first skeptical of Jimmy smudging and then asking her to do the closet. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she's really worried Neve might have been in there. Or just yeah. like, <laughs> I don't really think so. I get the feeling that they just fuck with each other quite a bit in this house. Uh-huh. So Blue decides to go check out the attic slash Neve's old room. Mm-hmm. And it still smells of asafetida, which I still say doesn't stink. Oh, my God. <laughs> and all of Neve's stuff had been packed up for removal. Look, I walked in a couple days this summer and I swore my whole house smelled like onions and I couldn't figure it out until I thought of the asafetida and I've got it wrapped up in two Ziploc bags and an airtight container. Like, it stinks. Oh my god. It doesn't <laughs> stink. It does. Do you remember, like, I had, like, my nose in it. I was like, I don't see the problem. <laughs> so stinky. It's like, you must not have the cilantro gross gene or, like, I don't. the smelling asparagus pea gene or, like, maybe there's an asafetida smell gene. Like, I know maybe. there's one for cyanide. Some people can't can't actually smell the bitter almond smell from cyanide. Yeah. That's weird. There's actually been misdiagnosed deaths because the coroner was not one of the people who could smell cyanide. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so as I was saying, Neve's stuff had all been packed away, except for the mirrors and the scrying bowl. And these are still out and show evidence of recent use. And I'm totally with Blue here. Why would you do that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Blue thinks that she had been warned that scrying was unpredictable and dangerous. The soul, she'd said, and she's thinking about Mora, is vulnerable when it's outside the mind. Of course, this is why Persephone is lost later, and Ronan serves as Adam's anchor as he's scrying. Mm -hmm. Who's using you, Blue wondered. But of course, that was only the first half of the question. The other half was, and what are you looking for now? Right. And this is answered later in the next chapter regarding who's scrying and why. Right. And then we kind of shift perspectives to Ronan with the line, Ronan Lynch believed in heaven and hell. Right. And this section, actually the rest of this chapter, has so much hellish and devilish symbolism in these Ronan pieces. Uh Yeah. Once he'd seen the devil and the description here of the unnaturally hot day, hot enough to make the cows pant and the iron gate handles scald your hands... 
and the devil is a beast with burning hooves. It really just feels like what a dream about the devil would feel like. It does feel like it's almost conjuring the essence of hell. Uh-huh. And I had wondered if the heat actually made Niall dream of hell, and that's why he pulled the devil out of his dreams. Yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing. I like the description of the burnt orange of a fire ant and how animal it is, how every description and piece of art had gotten it wrong because they'd all forgotten the devil was an animal. Uh-huh. And then the lynches had an enormous number of guns of all sizes. Why? <laughs> Were they things Niall had dreamt? Were they there for protection? Probably maybe both. Probably both, yeah. His father had shot the thing about 13 times in the head. 13's pretty specific. <laughs> yes. Yeah. With a shake of its horns, the unharmed devil had presented its genitalia to Niall Lynch before bounding off. I would do the same. Like, <laughs> I'd flip him off, too, as I was leaving. Uh, oh, my God. This is so freaking funny to me. It uh, is such a vivid picture of this devil shaking its dick at Niall Lynch and then scampering off into the woods. Also, <laughs> where the Evan hell did it go? Is there a random devil cryptid in the woods of Virginia somewhere? <laughs> Well, maybe it fell asleep after Niall died. It probably did. <laughs> yeah. but, but now there's like a sleeping devil cryptid in the woods somewhere. <laughs> somebody's going to run across it someday. Yeah. Dreamer trilogy. Yeah, we go. Mm-hmm. Vernon became a reverse evangelist. The truth burst and grew inside him, and it was laid upon him to share it with no one. No one was meant to see hell before they got there. Yeah. It's interesting to me that this experience specifically had such an effect on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't say how old he was either when mm-hmm. it happened. Right. And he also thinks no one should have to live with the devil. This struck me as interesting because the devil tarot card comes up quite a bit. Uh-huh. And it's often in reference to Kavinsky. Or it's in reference to Adam's past, like Adam's father. Right. And then so many homilies on faith were ruined once you no longer required it for belief. I do wish that I was more knowledgeable on Catholic customs. I feel like it would really help my ability to read into Ronan's background and feelings on this. Mm -hmm. And Gansey belonged to some religion that only required church attendance on Christmas. The (laughs) metatextual irony of Gansey being a wasp fills me with utter glee. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, like... I can't really give any insight into the Catholic side of things. Yeah. Because, like, that's a little different than the background that I grew up in. Right. (laughs) I'm somewhere between (laughs) Ronan and Gansey. (laughs) But yes, (laughs) Gansey being a wasp is wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Noah had not been Catholic when he was alive, but recently he decided to find religion. I wonder if Noah actually finds peace in going to church or if he just finds peace in being with a friend. Noah finding religion in the afterlife is unimaginably funny for some reason. But to be honest, I really think that Noah is just doing his best to keep an eye on Ronan throughout these chapters. That makes sense. He seems to be sticking pretty close to Ronan, (laughs) trying to keep him out of trouble, actually. Mm Mm-hmm. No one in the church ever noticed him, and it was possible God didn't either. But Ronan, as someone God possibly ignored as well, didn't mind the company. No, that's so sad. It really is. Yeah, and Ronan grimly stepped through the doors and clawed some holy water from the font. They're violent action words. Uh Uh-huh. 
It was the devil who drove him to church every Sunday, but it was his brother Matthew who drove him to sit in a pew beside Declan. And I just think this is such a good description of the Lynch brothers and their relationship from Ronan's point of view. Mm-hmm. The description of Declan, collared shirt, white as innocence, knot of his tie, tight and sanctified, slacks obediently pressed. This outward innocence and put-togetherness is as much a skin as Ronan's dark and violent one. Absolutely. Ronan flicks holy water on Declan's face. (laughs) Ronan, you ass, did you actually think it would burn him? (laughs) He's in church. He's obviously not a demon. (laughs) The interaction between Declan and Ronan about Declan's bruises kind of hurts once you have more info. Mm -hmm. Ronan comes off as so dismissive, and Declan can't be like, this is your fault, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and I would really want to. I know. Declan's definitely a better person than I, I am. <laughs> yeah. Declan says that it was a burglary, and Ronan and Noah exchange a look. From an outside perspective, Ronan would be making a face at thin air. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> There was very little worse than Ronan and Henrietta, and what worse there was was too busy racing around and a little white Mitsubishi to burgle the remaining lynches. <laughs> this is fairly naive of Ronan, and it also shows again that he knows Kay is terrible. Mm-hmm. So at Ronan's response, Declan just inhaled in response, slow and careful. Poor Declan. I like him more and more with each read-through. Mm-hmm. And the hospital smell on Declan triggers Ronan to remember finding his dad. And something like that would definitely mess you up. But I feel kind of sad that Ronan only seems to care about the fact that Declan has been attacked. And so far as thinking about how it might have happened can distract him. Right. Mm. I wonder if he's having a flashback to the hospital after the attack from the night horror. And that's tied to his father in his own mind. Mm. Because an antiseptic hospital smell wouldn't really apply to Nile I guess that's Nile true. Lynch. Yeah. The only person who has ever succeeded in beating up a Lynch brother has been another Lynch brother. Well, they've had a lot of practice, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And yet someone managed to beat up Nile. You're not invincible, Ronan. Absolutely. Ronan gave in to the brief privilege of hating himself, as he always did in church. <sighs> Orphan girl, why do you hate yourself? Mm -hmm. (laughs) There was something satisfying about acknowledging this hatred. Something relieving about this little present he allowed himself each Sunday. It's like, no, Ronan, don't do this to yourself. Mm -hmm. Ronan would have known Matthew's presence by the heavy dose of cologne Matthew always seemed to think church required. (laughs) I love this kid so freaking much. He's the human equivalent of a golden retriever. He really is. (laughs) But also, like... (laughs) Boys that age think you need to bath and axe. <laughs> yes. Not really bathe, just in cologne. Uh, yeah. Matthew was the only person who could get away with calling Ronan pal. Yeah, my family has a nickname for me that I will not say on the podcast. Maybe if you do something really, really nice for me, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> Matthew Lynch was a bear of a boy, square and solid and earnest. He seems like a cub, like a bear cub to me, rather than like... Yes. Yeah. And it talks about Matthew's golden curls, completely unlike any of his family members. But doesn't Aurora have... She has blonde hair. I don't know that it's ever described as curly. Uh Uh-huh. But yeah, Matthew's whole demeanor could be described as cherubic in the Renaissance way, not the biblical way. (laughs) He does seem to be someone that would be created by a three-year-old as a perfect playmate. Uh-huh. 
Matthew failed many more things than did either of his older brothers, but unlike Declan or Ronan, he always tried his hardest. Absolutely the living embodiment of a golden retriever. Yeah. <laughs> Ronan had dreamt 1,000 nightmares about something happening to Matthew. This is absolutely crucial to keep in mind. It's the crux regarding what happens later with Kavinsky. Kay basically made one of Ronan's biggest nightmares come true in real life, and this is what he finds unforgivable. Uh-huh. Ronan had once asked Noah if he chose to be invisible, and Noah replies, Rub it in, why don't you? What does this mean? It's a good question. And then Ronan thinks, really, it was like the truth was a disease Declan thought might kill him. The truth might kill him. And you too. Uh And then Declan says, sometimes when I call you, I actually need for you to pick up. Mm -hmm. That just hurts. Yeah. The whole, are we having a conversation? Is that what's happening right now? (laughs) It cracks me up. It is so sibling antagonistic. Uh Declan says, by the way, Joseph Kavinsky isn't someone I want you being around, and repeats, Kavinsky is, like, actually dangerous. Mm -hmm. Again, something to keep in mind is that Declan may be completely aware that Kavinsky is involved in the black market. He probably is. Yeah. And Declan seemed to think that being a year older gave him special knowledge of the seedier side of Henrietta. It does, you prat! Blame your dad! Uh What he meant was, did Ronan know that Kavinsky was a cokehead? This is not what he meant at all. <laughs> and then Noah asks if crack is the same thing as speed. First, Noah is leaning really heavily into the ghosty mind reading thing because this was not said out loud. Uh-huh. And second, no. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and then Matthews, guys, be holy. Yeah. I freaking love that kid. Yeah. Other folks online have rightly pointed out that the passages between Declan saying Ronan is a punk and Ronan saying Declan can go to hell and then Matthew saying guys be holy. It's pretty much a perfect encapsulation of their relationships. Yeah, basically. And Ronan closed his eyes to be blessed. From a Maggie post on Twitter, Catholic fact. Those who feel they've performed a mortal sin that makes them unworthy or not in a state of grace sometimes opt to cross their arms and close their eyes to receive a blessing during communion instead of taking communion. Apply this to your reading of Ronan as you will. Mm-hmm. Especially as right after he's like, please, God, what am I? Tell me what I am. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. This line seems to be that constant refrain in the back of Ronan's head and could be applied to either his dreaming or other parts of his life. Or all of it put together. Having never been someone in organized religion myself, as previously mentioned, it's not something that I had to think about growing up. But I do know that other folks have talked about how Ronan's questioning is a very representative of the Catholic LGBTQ experience. Mm -hmm. Very similar in other branches of Christianity as well. I'm sure. Matthew shaking his head at the wine is so adorable and innocent. Uh-huh. And then church is over and they walk out to find Ashley waiting for them outside. Her three tiny gold earrings in each earlobe seems kind of punk to me. Uh-huh. And Ronan mentions that Ashley seemed oblivious to Declan's cheating and Ronan hated her. Is Declan actually cheating on her, though? Like, I mean, we don't see any other evidence of that. Yeah. To be fair, she also hated Ronan. It's not like you went out of your way to be ingratiating, dude. <laughs> In fact, quite the opposite. Yeah. And on page 125, Adam rightly observed, the problem with getting the facts about Declan from Ronan was that Ronan always assumed that his brother was lying. But then, of course, he usually was. 
He has reason. Uh (laughs) I like to think that either Ronan just believes the worst of Declan or Declan and Ashley have an understanding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She doesn't seem the type that would ignore it without a reason. Right. Ronan gives her a jibe about not going into church and she says, I refuse to participate in a ceremony that doesn't allow equal spiritual privileges to women. And I'm like, this is actually a completely valid criticism of much of Christianity. And I'm sad that it's kind of framed a little as false feminism here. Yeah, could you explain more like what you mean by that? Just because the way that it's framed, it feels like we're supposed to believe she doesn't actually believe what she's saying. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was looking at it as it's not necessarily being framed as false feminism, except for the fact that Ronan's an unreliable narrator. We're kind of seeing it from his perspective. Mm, I guess that's true. And, you know, it seems like it's framed like it's trying to make her appear stupid with the word like in the middle of the sentence. Right. We don't get that for a lot of other characters. And the fact that she doesn't meet Ronan's eyes when she says it. Mm -hmm. So he's definitely seems to be framing the statement as shallow when he... Right. He asks if they buy their politics out of the same catalog. Right. Yeah. I kind of saw it as more him framing her as dumb. Okay. Versus like... Versus like a false... Yeah. But, you know... But you can see where I'm coming... I can, yeah, I yeah. can see where you're coming from. That's why I was hoping mm. you'd explain a little more. And one of the cutest, I mean, I think this is one of the cutest moments. He allowed Matthew to perform a brotherly handshake that they had invented four years previously. Like, okay, but what adorable dorks. (laughs) (laughs) And my first note in this next few pages was, Shannon probably hates this whole section. (laughs) I don't hate, I'm just like, eh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the first note that I had was, even those who might have considered a few minutes of traffic light drag racing were generally aware that their vehicles were not suited to the task. Mm -hmm. This is 100% me. It doesn't keep me from revving my engines, though. (laughs) Races were not to be found just lying on the street. They had to be cultivated. Right. So this was how Ronan Lynch found trouble. Echoes of that's trouble. Mm -hmm. I personally love the whole passage about Ronan identifying drivers that will race with him. Uh huh. A brightly colored car, candy coated vehicles, hatchbacks, coupes is so true. The (laughs) only car I actively raced was a mid 70s screamingly yellow Datsun fastback. Half the time, the best sports cars were piloted by middle-aged bankers fearful of what might lie beneath their hood. (laughs) I sort of feel like this might be a dig at Gansey. I really do think it might be. (laughs) I think we get a half a drink for that. Okay. (laughs) And this is how it started. Nose up to the light. Meet the driver's eyes. Shut off the air code to give the car a few extra horsepower. Rev the engine. Smile like danger. Yes. Shannon might hate this, but it gets me (laughs) so friggin' pumped. I don't hate it. It's just not my (laughs) specific thing. (laughs) This was how Ronan found trouble, except when the trouble was Kavinsky, because then it found him. Mm. Kay is continually being referenced as trouble. I mean, he is. Yeah. And then the hellishly affluent subdivision where Kavinsky lived. Mm -hmm. Again, the devil, hell. Uh Uh-huh. 
Ronan thinks of just leaving the sunglasses, similar to what Kay does later with the driver's licenses. Mm -hmm. And Ronan's air conditioning is on full blast. The furious midday glare. It's hot again, like the day where he saw the devil. Uh And Kavinsky rolls up and Ronan's palms were suddenly sweaty. (laughs) And the exchange between Ronan and Kavinsky here is great. There's so much subtext that is barely subtext. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Although, admittedly, it does bother me a lot that the F word that I won't say is used as a slur. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunately never framed as a positive on the page later in the books. I guess that's true. Yeah. Oh, my God. The hey now, let's not make this ugly line in the audiobooks. Will Patton's accent is so bad. <laughs> Let's not make this ugly. <laughs> That's like a freaking Texas cowboy or it's something. so awful. Oh. Hey, now, let's not make this ugly. <laughs> oh, all right. Kavinsky examines the glasses. The only thing Ronan had gotten wrong was the tint. Was this a mistake? He needs a pretty solid mental image, as later we find out with Green Mantle's phone. Uh Uh-huh. And then, well done, Lynch. Where'd you find them? Kay is likely baiting Ronan to tell him about the dreams. Uh Uh-huh. And the hard-to-get line when Ronan tosses Kay the glasses is just ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, Kay's flirting technique is atrocious. And I probably (laughs) would have fallen for it when I was 17. (laughs) Not me. He's totally not the kind of guy I went for. I did fall for it when I was 17. (laughs) The Mitsubishi snarled ahead, but then Kavinsky screwed the shift from third to fourth. Is this not one of the dream cars? Why would he not correct this flaw? Mm -hmm. My theory is that he then, after this race, goes to start dreaming the cars now, which is why Cave's Water is gone later. That makes a lot of sense. In the rearview mirror, Ronan allowed himself the slightest of smiles. This is what it felt like to be happy. Ronan, he felt like he had caught happiness. I feel like that's in The Raven King when, mm-hmm. when after he's kissed Adam, that's like the real happy. Aww. Yeah. All right. Chapter 13, which is a blue point of view. Blue and Gansey are having oh so casual super not a crush conversations under Mora's watchful eye in the kitchen. It's been decided that they will head back to Caveswater once Ronan gets back from dicking around street racing Kavinsky like he had very explicitly been asked not to do. <laughs> Maura and Kala drop some vague posts about Caveswater and Adam. <laughs> All right. Blue very much liked having the boys over to her house. Contrast this to the first time they came over just a few weeks ago. Indeed. A lot has changed in just a short amount of time. Yeah. Blue sometimes got tired of being 100% of the non-psychic population of 300 Fox Way, and that percentage improved dramatically when the boys were over. Well, not dramatically. Adam's pretty psychic himself. True, Adam's pretty psychic. However, even given that, the total percentage of non-psychics has greatly increased with the addition of Ren and Gansey. It's at least doubled or tripled. (laughs) That's a significant improvement. (laughs) Right. Statistically speaking. Yes. Gansey is at once eager and unsuited for all of the intuitive arts. <laughs> Here it is said that he's unable to survive if left to his own devices, but this is not Gansey at all. 
As we know, Gansey has survived quite well all on his own from a very young age. But I don't think Blue knows this yet. And so Mm. we're seeing it through her eyes. Right. And also, while it's true that Gansey has been on his own for quite a while, I will point out that he lives in a place where the kitchen is in the bathroom. (laughs) This is true. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Pretty much that can trump any argument. Like, (laughs) (laughs) And then Blue contemplates group marriage. It suggested permanence. There was no one at her school that she wanted to commit to for a lifetime. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) Slow down, girl. (laughs) Is it weird that I totally don't find this idea weird at all? Uh, I totally get what she's talking about. Like, you know, the not being good at casual friends thing that she mentions in a second. Yeah, she had never been good at having casual friends. This reminds me a lot of Ronan not understanding casual relationships. And I think Maggie is also a person that doesn't do casual and friends. Mm -hmm. I don't either really like either i know someone not at all or like just well enough to say hi or we're pretty much best buds yeah (laughs) blue thinks about family which had never been about blood relation at 300 fox way this is blue's version of found family like adam and ronan both think of gansey as a brother Uh uh-huh and i can totally see how like being brought up that way in that environment would make her feel that way about friendships Mm -hmm. blue and gansey have a wordless conversation They had come to the decision that today was a day for exploring once Ronan arrived. And the whole bit about Maura's tea is pretty hilarious. Blue very vocally removed herself from the test group. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Blue had learned early on that healthy was not a synonym for delicious. It's no. mm -mm. It's totally not. Gansey didn't know any better, so he accepted what he was given. Sucker. (laughs) So polite, he'd probably accept dog poop without flinching. Oh, God. Yeah. Someone had filled an entire shelf with disgusting store brand pudding. Kala, oh my gosh. I get the feeling that this is a feud that has been going on for a long time. Yogurt versus pudding. Uh, I agree. It really feels like a worn rut. Mm-hmm. And Blue thinking about how she loved Caves Water in a way that was hard to hold inside herself. Caves Water's trees were ancient and twisted and sentient, and they'd known her name. Mm-hmm. She's always loved trees, but Caves Water gives her a sense of belonging mm-hmm. that she doesn't get in other places. It speaks to her something more. Right. Blue thinks Mora is watching Gansey because of the tea, but I think maybe Mora is watching the two of them. It makes a good excuse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And here we see the beginning of the blue won't eat the fruit on the bottom of the yogurt thing. And I'm with Gansey. It's the best part. Yeah. I'm the person who eats plain Greek yogurt. <laughs> like no sugar. No. <laughs> so I can't do that. Yeah. Crossly, Blue realized that Gansey had now called her Jane so often that it felt strange to hear him say her real name. <laughs> Maggie was asked once if she had profiles for her characters, and she said not so much. They were more like this. Steve Otter's handy guide to writing her own characters. Gansey. (laughs) Remember that G segregates intimacy by renaming things, i.e. Jane, Pig, Lynch, preserving true names for demonstrations of real Gansey. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Maura lets them in on a little secret about magic, the internal logic of the rules. It looks unpredictable to us, but it's really just because we're idiots. 
Maybe this is why Adam is such a good magician. He seems to intuit logic and rules. I agree, because he absolutely does. It mm-hmm. just seems that logic is just the way his mind works. Mm-hmm. Mora asks Gansey if he's sure he still wants to find Glendower. And this causes Blue to start daydreaming about Gansey's eyes. His eyes were like the dreaming pool in Caves Water. Oh <laughs> my god. Insa- <laughs> he had the insatiable wanting well. But now that she'd seen it, she couldn't stop seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> but he wouldn't be able to explain it to Mora, and he wouldn't have to explain it to Blue. Oh and I'm just like, I know she's talking about the Glendower quest, but Jesus, kid. Yeah. I mean, the guy you say you're dating is in the next room. Right. <laughs> Although this is virtually a thesis for their relationship, mm-hmm. Blue and Gansey. <laughs> and Mora says, it could kill you. Fuck, Mora. Gemini. Uh-huh. Then there was the awkward moment that arrived when two-thirds of the people in the room know that the other third is supposed to die in fewer than nine months. (laughs) And the person who is meant to die is not one of the ones in the know. Yes, he does know. And also take a drink. And then Blue gives Gansey her fruity yogurt leftovers as he talks about dying. You never know what kind of death cooties that spoon may contain. (laughs) Oh my god! thought about that <laughs> holy shit <laughs> Blue, <what> the- <laughs> Kala was not angry she merely stormed whenever possible oh god I love her yeah me too and it very much of course reminds me of the fact that Ronan slams uh-huh. everything Kala gives some sort of cryptic advice about Caveswater being a video game and everybody else knowing where the level ups are what the hell does this even mean? <laughs> These are the words of an adult trying to sound cool and failing miserably. Okay. Blue finally remembers Adam exists after Gansey mm. tries to bring up whether she's talked to him about the no kissing thing yet. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Why wasn't Adam in on the conversation anyway? I don't know. And they'd both unconsciously leaned as close as possible to keep their voices from carrying. I don't want to take a drink for this, but come on, you guys. Uh-huh. And Gansey talks about his grandmother. She's a lovely woman, I suppose, if you like them bald and racist. (laughs) Oh, Gansey, my sweet summer child. Blue says, my grandmothers are both dead. Probably not. (laughs) Artemis being a practically immortal tree thing and all. That's true. It's also pretty clear. It's also pretty clear that Blue is at this point bullshitting Gansey. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm so surprised that you skipped over this part. Richard C. Gansey the third has a nice mouth. Now I know he has nice eyes when he laughs too. This still isn't love. No, it's not. But it's halfway there. (laughs) She also thought Adam. Remember Adam. Yes, please. Uh Uh-huh. Then Gansey makes jokes about all of the men in the house being eaten or keeping them in the basement. Okay, jerk face, you can stop now. (laughs) Like, kind of misogynistic, (laughs) right? Just a little. That didn't get to me so bad. Just because they're just being... Well, they're joking back and forth, but it's still like, come on, buddy. Mm -hmm. You know. It's the same thing that... Ronan said it's a castration palace. I called him out on that too. Uh, that's <laughs> so. true. And Blue says the men can't hack it, poor things. Poor me, Gansey said. Wait, what? Since when are you a man in her family? <laughs> and then Blue leaves and she's glad that she got away from Gansey because her pulse felt like she'd been running. Oh, God. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so melodramatic. Um, the bit where Blue is like, we're going to Caveswater and I'm telling you because you're an authority figure. It reminds me of the first time I went out in college and realized there was no one to ask permission from or tell where I was going. It was such a weird experience. Yeah. And Mora is so getting a kick out of this, which is hilarious because of the scene with the gray man later. There is a parallel with the Blue Mora romance. Uh-huh. <laughs> So anyway, so Blue confronts the ladies in general, her mom specifically, about the scrying bowl that she found. And Mora admits that she was using it. And then Kala says Mora was using it to look for butternut. Mm-hmm. And Blue is like, I thought you said scrying was a bad idea. And Kala says, it's like vodka. It really depends on who's doing it. And I mean, yeah, I guess, but not really. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad comparison, (laughs) but yeah, I was also kind of like, no, Kala, no. (laughs) They're all huddled in the hallway watching Adam. What are they Uh sensing from him? That's a good question. I mean, yeah, there's a lot going on with him right now. Right. He had removed one of the tarot decks from its bag and lined all of the cards facing up in three long rows. Now he leaned on the table and studied the image on each, one at a time, shuffling on his elbows to the next one when he was through. I love Mm. so much that he is drawn to the cards here. I wonder whose deck he's looking at now. Yeah, that's a good question. I would want to say maybe Persephone's, but... Of course, yeah. (laughs) Mora looks at Adam. I think I need to have a talk with that boy. And Kala says, somebody does. Personally, I think it should be blue. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like Mora is talking about Adam's connection to Caveswater and how he's struggling. That's true. And, of course, it eventually is Persephone that talks to him, as they really are the most similar. Right. And Mora and Kala laugh, and, well, Mora gallops upstairs and Kala stomps upstairs. <laughs> Blue says she hates both of them, and you're supposed to use your powers for good, you know? <laughs> I laugh so hard at this every time. Kala using her powers for good? Really? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. <sighs> Adam says, I could hear y'all, you know. And Blue and Gainsey's kind of looking at himself. Oh, man, I really hope that. I'm just like, he was totally talking about them. Yeah, it's debatable. I'm trying to think if there's any textual indication later that he did hear them talking. And I don't remember. So Mm -hmm. and then Blue asks Adam if he thinks he's a train wreck. And he says, that would mean I was on the tracks to start with. That's that poor kid. Yeah. In the last of the terrible flirting before we get to some good flirting, Gansey shakes his coffee bottle at Blue and says, fair trade, in a way that indicated he had selected a fair trade coffee beverage entirely so that he could tell Blue that he had selected a fair trade coffee beverage. Oh my God, she's probably right. <laughs> and then Gansey dazzled a smile at her. <laughs> Oh, God. I can just see see my face. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm not even eye rolling. I'm just like, Mm. The last line in the chapter is Gansey saying, Yes, Parrish, we're going to Caveswater. And my note was, No, they're not. (laughs) Now we're going to go into the deep dive. Deep dive. (laughs) Yeah. It's deep dive time. And we're going to talk about Triple Goddess, as we said before. Mm -hmm. And Wikipedia defines the Triple Goddess as a triple deity, sometimes referred to as a threefold triplet, triplicate, 
tripartite, triune, or triadic, or as a trinity, is three deities that are worshipped as one. Such deities are common throughout world mythology. The number three has a long history of mythical associations. Carl Jung considered the arrangement of deities into triplets an archetype in the history of religion. Yeah. And that lovely page of wit and learning TV tropes describes them as the maiden, often blonde and beautiful, and either a naive ditz or a budding seductress, <laughs> the matron or mother, often plump and rather eccentric or pregnant, and the crone, often sharp-witted, sharp-tongued, bitter, and unsentimental, but not without kindness. Sound familiar? <laughs> In terms of a Freudian trio, the maiden is the id, the crone is the superego, and the mother is the ego. <laughs> so we're going to focus on how sort of the neo-pagan or Wiccan triple goddess relates to Kala, Persephone, and Mora. Mm-hmm. And it's a rather modern concept, this particular way that we're going to talk about first. Robert Graves is widely recognized as a modern progenitor of the concept of the triple goddess as we are referring to her. And his book, The White Goddess, was published in the 50s or 60s. Mm -hmm. However, as with many items of this nature, that origin is debated. Mm -hmm. Some people believe that one of the original triple goddess triads representing the maiden, mother, and crone were, quite literally, Persephone, goddess of the spring and eventual wife of Hades, Demeter, Persephone's mother, fertility, and grain goddess, and Hecate, goddess of darkness, the moon, witchcraft, and some aspects of death, each representing a phase in the life cycle of the feminine. Hecate herself had been represented in a triple form similar to the Morrigan and could have been viewed as a representation of the phases of the moon, much like the modern triple goddess symbolism. Mm -hmm. In an article entitled Seven Goddess Archetypes of Female Empowerment, the author Lana Alder describes Persephone as such. Persephone represents a female archetype of a medium, a mystic, a shamaness. She is intense, imaginative, poetic, sensitive, keenly perceptive, and often psychic. She is very attached to her mother, Demeter, and only maintains a few significant relationships. Like any introvert, she shuns crowds and superficiality. Her kingdom is the inner world of the psyche the underworld representing the subconscious. Mm -hmm. And this description of Persephone will become very important later on in the Dream Thieves and throughout her relationship as mentor to Adam. We mentioned in the Opal special episode that the goddess Persephone is also considered a psychopomp, a role that TRC's Persephone plays in Adam's initiation and transition as well. Mm -hmm. And then a little more information on the roles of the three. The Maiden, it's represented by the new waxing moon. The Maiden embodies purity, youth, creation, pleasure, naivete, and new beginnings. The Maiden invites you to explore your spirituality, creativity, and desires. The Mother, represented by the full moon, the Mother embodies love, fertility, nourishment, responsibility, patience and power, and self-care. The Mother invites you to master giving and receiving love. And the Crone, represented by the fading, waning moon. The Crone embodies fulfillment, endings, wisdom, death, and culmination. The Crone invites you to accept that without death, there is no birth. And there is a triple moon symbol that is tied to the modern triple goddess. It's the waxing, the full, and the waning. Mm -hmm. And a passage from the Greek Magical Papyri, translation by Hans Dieter Betz, about the moon goddess Selene. 
Triple-headed, triple-voiced Selene, triple-pointed, triple-faced, triple-necked, and goddess of the triple ways, who hold untiring, flaming fire in triple baskets, and you who oft frequent the triple way and rule the triple decades. Mm. And then Graves, who we mentioned before, Graves' concept of the triple goddess, as you said, basically became the neo-pagan Wiccan version of the triple goddess. And she's very connected to cycles and nature and was kind of constructed as a three-on-one akin to the Christian trinity. Mm-hmm. To quote Graves, as goddess of the underworld, she was concerned with birth, procreation, and death. As goddess of the earth, she was concerned with the three seasons of spring, summer, and winter. She animated trees and plants and ruled all living creatures. As goddess of the sky, she was the moon, in her three phases of new moon, full moon, and waning moon. As the new moon or spring, she was a girl. As the full moon or summer, she was woman. As the old moon or winter, she was hag. Right. Some other types of triple goddesses that have been worshipped or have been in mythology throughout the years. The Morrigan. The Morrigan is most well known as an Irish goddess who often appears in crow or raven form and is associated with battle, warriors, sovereignty, prophecy, and other world power. Though early source literature referencing her only exists in Irish, folklore and archaeological records suggest that she, or closely related divinities, were known and worshipped in Britain and Gaul as well, suggesting that we have in her a pan-Celtic goddess. Mm -hmm. While it is true that in many instances where she appears in the Irish literature, she is described as being one of three sisters, or is referred to as a trinity directly... It should be understood that the triplicity of the Morrigan is not equivalent to modern Wiccan ideas of the triple goddess. Mm-hmm. And you have three different names for the three different aspects of the Morrigan. You have Baiv Kaha, which means battle crow. Generally speaking, this name and aspect has a close association with battle, warriors, and bloodshed. They all kind of do. Mm -hmm. As well as battle, sorcery, and prophecy. She follows the warriors and gathers the souls of the slain. Macha, which means plain. Macha is one of the forms most directly linked to the land and related concepts of wealth, fertility, and queenship. She is also deeply linked to warfare, and the severed heads on the battlefield were called the Mast of Macha, which is Harvest of Macha. And then Nevan, which is the Frenzian Terror. Her actions and appearances in the lore connect her to madness, frenzy, terror, and fearful sound. She's said to terrorize armies with a shrieking voice so dreadful that warriors would die of fear on the spot from the sound. Mm -hmm. And in Near Eastern mythology, we have the goddesses Alaza, Alat, and Manat, and they formed a triad in pre-Islamic Arabia. Alaza, the strong one, was one of the most venerated Arab deities, the goddess of the morning and evening star, Venus. She was also associated with a virginal or girlish form. Alat, whose name is a contraction of Alilahat, the goddess, is mentioned by Herodotus as Alilat, whom he identifies with Aphrodite. She is sometimes also equated with Athena and is called the mother of the gods or the greatest of all. She is a goddess of springtime and fertility, the earth goddess who brings prosperity. Manat or Manawayat derives her name from Arabic mania, fate, destruction, doom, death, or manata, part, portion, that which is allotted. 
She is accordingly a goddess of death, and Mania, death personified, is mentioned in poetry as actively bringing a person to his or her grave, holding out the cup of death. She is often shown as an old woman with a cup. Mm-hmm. Some other examples of goddesses in triple aspects, the fates, the morai, in Greek myth, the norns in Nordic mythology, mm-hmm. were often depicted as three female forms. In literature, you have the weird sisters of Shakespeare's Scottish play. The word mm-hmm. weird is a Scottish derivation from Old English weird, which means fate. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say, I didn't know you were enough of a theater geek <laughs> to follow the Scottish play superstition. <laughs> Technically, you're only not supposed to say it inside of a theater, but why take chances? <laughs> and also, yeah, you're spot on about the etymology of weird sisters. They are literally the fates. Mm-hmm. I'm actually most familiar with the Nordic version, the Norns, as you mentioned, specifically the one where there are just three, because there are other versions where there mm-hmm. are multiples. A common set of names for them is Erd, Verdandi, and Skald, which translates the past, present, and future, respectively. And like the Greek form of the fates, they're often depicted as weaving a tapestry that is history or fate. Mm-hmm. Also often depicted as casting lots or writing runes, but the weaving is the most common. Mm-hmm. And some other examples of triple-aspected goddesses in Greek mythology would be the Charities, the Graces, the Irenes, the Furies, and the Greia, the Grey Sisters, who took the form of old gray-haired women. Their age was so great that a human childhood for them was hardly conceivable. And they shared one eye and one tooth among them, which they took turns using. Perseus forced them to reveal information about Medusa by stealing their eye while they were passing it among themselves. The Gorgons themselves were also a set of three monstrous sisters, Medusa once having been mortal and cursed by Athena. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything um, else? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> when you were talking about the triple goddesses at the beginning, I was thinking, giving a description of them, it reminds me of the Sanderson sisters in Hocus Pocus. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there are lots of different uh-huh. people play on those aspects quite mm, a bit. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Chapter 14. It's a POV of the ladies of 300 Fox Way. Yay! The three weird sisters are playing psychic games on a Sunday afternoon when they are rudely interrupted by our friendly neighborhood poetry-spouting hitman. (laughs) There are some glances and some card readings, drinks, and stolen IDs. This chapter, more than any other so far that I can recall, has a floating POV. Mm-hmm. It actually seems to be collectively Mora, Cala, Persephone, fittingly as one unit. Uh-huh. As a listener recently correctly pointed out, TRC is considered a third-person limited omniscient narration. Mm-hmm. We just tend to talk about character POV as a way to put a lens on certain chapters. Right. We talk about who it seems to be focusing right. through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And any of the women under its roof could give them a card reading or whatnot. Interestingly, the audiobook has bar blue inserted in this phrase, which does seem like a vital clarification. Yeah. Or they could also listen to the dreadful week you had just lived through. Psychic as therapist. Yeah, it's amazing how much we will tell even a total stranger if we think they'll listen. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of there was this early chatbot called Eliza. And people were asked to interact with it during development. And they would tell it all kinds of super personal things. Mm-hmm. Even though they knew it was a computer and that their conversations were being recorded. Mm-mm, not for me. <laughs> 
Yeah, it, it was weird. <laughs> the chapter goes on to describe Mora, Persephone, and Kella having fun with the game. Mm-hmm. It's really nice to see them enjoying it, even though it's a job. It's a part of who they are as people, too. Uh-huh. And I liked just a little detail of calling up or down three or seven stairs. Uh-huh. I wonder if they're doing it specifically because they think it'll amplify something, being on a mystical number, or why, why? Mora called it continuing education. Kala called it turning tricks. I love Kala. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that makes me laugh. Also, mm-hmm. their personalities are so well represented in just a few sentences. Yeah, And don't forget Persephone's calling it that thing we could do if there's nothing on television. I feel like these perfectly encapsulate them and solidify their maiden-mother-crone trichotomy. Right. I really love this description in contrast to Ronan's experience at church. It was that they were spiritual every day. Agreed. I love this too. It's spiritual versus religious. Right. Maggie said on Tumblr, Nowadays, I consider myself spiritual, not religious. If one was thinking of doing a paper on themes in Steve Otter novels, one might link the Dream Thieves and the Scorpio races. Just saying. I can see that. And Kala drops a decent life motto. I'm very nearly drunk enough to be transcendent. (laughs) Mora, for some reason, says Persephone is Russian, even though she very clearly would know otherwise. Any reason? I was wondering if it was a coincidence that Ronan says the same thing to Kavinsky Or if it's actually supposed to mirror something that I'm just not picking up on. Yeah, it's a good question because it does seem like a silly mistake for Mora to make. I don't see any reason for it to be a running joke. Right. And also Kavinsky is obviously an Eastern European name and I don't know if it's specifically Russian. So maybe there's some like jiving going on there too. Right. Kavinsky's Bulgarian Ah, and Persephone's Estonian. Right. Neither of them are Russian and yet... This sort of poke has been used for both. Yeah, it's really weird. And the doorbell rings. Morris swore delicately. Kala swore indelicately. (laughs) Yes, another way Mora and Kala are similar to Gansey and Ronan. Uh And then Mr. Gray walks in and we get the first real description of him. Mm -hmm. He was very gray. He wore a dark gray v-neck t-shirt that emphasized the muscular slope of his shoulders. His slacks were a deeper gray. His hair was an ashy blonde, drained of color, and so was the fashionable week-old facial hair around his mouth. Even his irises were gray. (laughs) It escaped none of the women in the room that he was handsome. And all of the women's mouths twisted into their own knowing sort of smile. Again, that shared POV of all of the women almost as one entity. Uh Uh-huh. And I have to admit, even though I know this is like totally not the case, and he's much more handsome than this character, I've always pictured the gray man in my head as looking like Gru from Despicable Me. What? Okay, apparently we've got <laughs> Shannon's fan cast for Mr. Gray. <laughs> Gru is a cartoon character. <laughs> I've actually never seen Despicable Me. I had to look this character up so that I would know what he looked like. Uh, one of Kala's eyebrows looked exceptionally skeptical. The return of my favorite minor character. Yay! <laughs> they noticed he had extraordinarily straight teeth. Again, shared POV. Also effervescent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mora brings him in and she says that he's an author and that he knows poetry. Mm-hmm. Kella asks Mr. Gray to give her a stanza and she'll fetch him a drink. 
he begins to recite The Wanderer, an Anglo-Saxon poem. I found a wonderful short breakdown essay by a Tumblr user, Cassandra Quill, Mm -hmm. and they said what I had wanted to, but much more eloquently. The Wanderer is, in many ways, the perfect poem for the gray man to recite. It is told from the perspective of a warrior who has lost his kin, his home, his lord, and must wander over frozen waves with only sorrow as a companion. One line tells how he has had to bind his innermost thoughts in fetters. The gray man certainly has a lot to keep contained, his own violent past, and more painful, the vulnerability he feels at the hands of his sociopathic brother. Mm -hmm. And there is more to the post, and it is worth reading. Okay. And I love that Cal even knows the origins of the poem. It reminds me of Ronan knowing about the color blue. Mm -hmm. Oh, I found the article talking about that, by the Mm -hmm. way. So ancient Egyptians had a word for blue because they had a blue pigment that they could make from a specific flower. But Uh, they were pretty much the only ancient culture who did. Chinese, Hebrew, Icelandic, Hindu, Arabic, none of them had words for blue in their ancient texts. Even Homer in the Odyssey describes the sea as wine dark. Mm -hmm. And the link I'm going to drop in the show notes talks about an experiment with the Himba tribe in Namibia who don't really differentiate between blue and green. Mm -hmm. And they were shown 12 color swatches, 11 green and one blue, Mm -hmm. and asked to point out the different one, and they couldn't. Right. And however, they have a lot more words for green than we do. And so so they did it kind of like a reverse on English speakers, mm-hmm. like 11 green squares and one of different shade of green. Uh-huh. And asked the English speakers to point out the odd one, and they couldn't do that. Right. And there's a picture of the swatches in the article, and I couldn't do it either. Mm. Yeah, and the Himba tribesmen were able to like point right. that one out immediately. Huh, interesting. I would like to look at that because mm-hmm. I'd like to see how I do. It's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad that you did the blue. <laughs> All right, Mora trying to convince a hitman they could all kick his ass is so funny to me. Uh-huh, it's <laughs> of course, very funny. Yeah, they don't know that he's a hitman yet, <laughs> <true>. so <laughs> Kala taking the pepper spray out of her purse. Yes, my queen. I almost <laughs> bought myself pepper spray for Christmas this year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's hilarious. Also, now I know what to get you for the next gift-giving event. Yeah. Your birthday, I guess? Yeah, or Easter. One <laughs> Easter, the there we go. <laughs> Oh, getting pepper spray for Easter. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right. (laughs) If zombie Jesus comes around, you pepper spray him. There we go. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Mora again calls Persephone Russian. Why? (laughs) Yeah, it feels kind of weird. Yeah, I don't get it. But it's so fun to see Mora and the gray man flirt over punching a man's nose into his brain. (laughs) Yeah. Mora has such weird, possibly bad taste in men. Uh, No, I must admit that this is adorable. Yeah. She might have bad taste in men, sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She fell in love with a tree and a hitman. Well, you know. (laughs) That's not a good track record. Of the two of them, the hitman's doing better than the tree dude. The tree dude's kind of a loser. All right. Mora picks up her tarot cards and he leaned to pick up one she had missed. Did she miss it? Because sometimes they jump. Sometimes they do. (laughs) This fellow looks unhappy. He taps the card. And Mora says, that's a fellow after Kel is done with him. (laughs) Holy shit, Mora. That's pretty brutal. Uh (laughs) Also, does Kel a date? Mm, Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. 
And the interpretation of the Ten of Swords here is pretty much the one that I know. It's the end of a cycle. It's the worst mm-hmm. that it'll get. It can also mean betrayal or endings in general, often abrupt endings. Right. It can also mean you're being a little like, woe is me, overdramatic. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to read the Ten of Swords, not the whole thing, but read the Ten of Swords in Maggie's Raven Prophecy. Mm-hmm. So she has the key words of suffering, illness, tragedy, and endings. Now, she says there's no point in sugarcoating this card. It's pretty terrible. On the traditional Raider White deck, the art features a man stabbed with ten swords, which seems excessive. This card warns of an agonizing and brutal conclusion, and the worst part is that it quite probably was your own fault. (laughs) There's a bright side, though, and that's that this is the worst it will get. There's no Eleven of Swords to kill you even deader. (laughs) When you've hit rock bottom, there's nowhere to go but up. Mm Mm-hmm. And Mora and the Gray Man, the glancing back and forth. Mm-hmm. Ah! <laughs> At least the adults have some game. <laughs> and they're playing a game where the Gray Man is pulling cards and they're dictating where the cards are coming from. And top or bottom, the Gray Man asks Kala, top, of course, the only place to be. <laughs> Whoa, Nelly, Kala's on fire. <laughs> Yes, double entendres flying everywhere. Pretty sure that's a single entendre. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it is. (laughs) And then Mora has the gray man pull the Empress card. I very much feel like the Empress is Mora's card. Mm -hmm. It embodies nurturing and motherhood. And in Maggie's Raven Prophecy deck, she associates it with Mother Nature. Uh Uh-huh. It very much is in a lot of places. I would agree that the Empress is totally Mora's card. It fits well with her place within the coven as well. Mm -hmm. They keep going and the gray man clapped slowly. Honestly, this would be super impressive. It really would be. Mora and Kala are shouting back and forth and Persephone's quiet voice cut through their increasingly loud competition. The king of swords, Persephone, is quiet like Adam. Mm -hmm. And I really like the description. Occasionally, Persephone appeared both eight years old and 80 at once. Now was one of those times. Mm -hmm. So Persephone guesses the card in the middle of the deck, or 16 cards down. Mora and Kala's eyebrows go up. Kala's went up further. (laughs) The king of swords, master of his own emotions, master of his own intellect, master of reason, gazed out at them. Expression inscrutable. Mm -hmm. So the king of swords will indicate someone who's very intellectual, they're detached and logical, and also represents somebody who's very powerful and decisive and has strong mental clarity and a knack of figuring out the truth. Mm -hmm. And in Maggie's deck, again, the key words are just, fairness, intellect, and truth. Mm -hmm. And the King of Swords' opinion is valued. Rather than meeting out cruel truths at every turn, the King has learned to be judicious about sharing the things that he knows. Mm -hmm. And, oh, the things that he knows. (laughs) The King is the logical product of a lifetime of valuing the truth, of valuing facts, of valuing the secret details that often escape others. Mm -hmm. I do think that applies to the Grey Man. Yeah. Mora asks Mr. Gray if he thinks that's his card. I find it really interesting that she asks. Yeah, it's kind of like, she's like, is that really who you want to be? Mm-hmm. And they're talking about the card. He's very, very good about making decisions based upon facts instead of emotion, as we just said. Mm-hmm. And this description sounds much like Adam as well. 
and I feel like he and the gray man have a lot in common. The gray man is easily a road Adam could have gone down in the future, much like Welk or Green Mantle would be one that Gansey could go down in the future. Agreed. And all three women are picking up on something else, though. Violence. Kala finished. And I wonder where they're getting this. Is it just from him in general? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it's there to pick up from the gray man, but it's not really in the card. Yeah, I feel like it's probably from him. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Mora, Persephone, and Kala seemed more like three parts of the same entity instead of three separate women. The three of them turned as one to Mr. Gray. Mm-hmm. And they so keenly feel a missing member when one of them is gone. Like later, in Blue Lily, Lily Blue, which is Mora, or the Raven mm. King, Persephone. Yeah, and poor Kala doesn't know what to do when it's just her for a while later. Yeah. Mr. Gray apologizes for lying about being a novelist and then says, I'm a hitman. <laughs> and it said, the gray man's answer seemed very flippant, but his voice suggested otherwise. To return to Shannon's comments in an earlier episode, I think it was just last episode, mm-hmm. Mora says, that's not very funny. And the gray man agrees. Noah's confessions were passed off as jokes in the text. This one is not. Right. And it's almost like the opposite of Noah, come to think of it. Noah, no one believed until they did, and then they're all horrified. Mm -hmm. And the gray man, everyone believes, but it doesn't seem to phase anyone or make him less charming. Yeah. And then Mora apparently softens. It might be nice to have someone deadlier than Kala in the room for a change. (laughs) And the glances again. There was a Mm. wordless, tacit agreement in it. Fifty Shades of Mr. Gray. (laughs) They all had another drink. The gray man asks knowledgeable questions full of wry humor. Mm -hmm. Then he takes everyone's empty glasses to the kitchen. He's so charming that they even let him walk all the way through the house with no supervision. Yeah, dude is so smooth. (laughs) Yeah. Then he asked if he could return later in the week. Gray's got game. (laughs) See my earlier comment about him being smooth and also more as questionable taste in men. (laughs) I'd I'd go for it. (laughs) And Kala stole his wallet and remarks that the idea is fake. I literally wrote down the question, how does she know? And then, oh, wait, duh. How how does she know? Psychometry. Oh, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I literally just face palmed, guys. You did. Just, I, I'm pretty sure that we picked it up on the audio. So, all right. And then Kala asks why Mora said yes. Come on, Mama needs some sugar. And oh, Persephone said, I think we all know what you're keeping your eye on. His butt. <laughs> Hate to see you leave, but I love to watch you go. <laughs> oh, come we... on, you had to have heard that one before. I have, but I, I guess from you, like in your voice, it's so unexpected. It just popped into my mind, like right now. I know. <laughs> oh, all right. With that, we are done with the chapters. Woohoo. And Shannon, do you have an MVC? I do. <laughs> what was the conversation that we had earlier at the restaurant? <laughs> I was like, have the Foxway ladies as a combined group 
had an MVC and you were like, um, no. And I'm like, no reason, no reason. <laughs> Just no reason. Just no reason. <laughs> you did try to give it to Foxway the house. One I, time. I think I did. Yeah. So do you have an MVC? The Foxway ladies as a group. Oh, okay. <laughs> Gotcha. I thought you were asking, are we allowed to give it to the Foxway ladies as a group? And I was like, no. Oh. <laughs> no, actually, that's fine. Because I was going to say Mora. <laughs> so I was picking one of the Foxway ladies anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I think, honestly, if we're going to give it to the Foxway ladies as a collective... This mm. would be the proper episode to do so. <laughs> so I am totally like, okay. Yeah, especially since we were talking very specifically about how they were acting yes. yeah. acting as one yeah. in this episode. Yeah, no, that's fine. <sighs> All right, awesome. Okay, well, let's see. <sighs> Maggie Watch 2019. So the only big hint we've gotten on the Dreamer Trilogy release is that Maggie has seen the cover of the new book. Yay! Incremental Steps. <laughs> she has, though, announced that she will be at BookCon in New York June 1st and 2nd. Her appearance date is to be announced, but you can check www.thebookcon.com slash guests for more information. More and more, it seems that we may at least get a limited tour for the first book of the Dreamer trilogy. So exciting! It is really exciting. And a supporter shout out. Mm-hmm. We are going to answer a question that we got on Tumblr, a question from Anon, and they do sign their name, but it's obviously someone who might not have a Tumblr. Hey, y'all, I just listened to the whole first season and the first few episodes of the second in about a week. <laughs> oh, my God. I binge podcasts, so I know what that's like. Uh-huh. I will go through a whole podcast in three days. So. Yeah. You guys are so great, and I really dig this podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. So much so, I got my sibling into it, too. Hi, sibling. Hi. (laughs) Yay. Anyway, I was wondering about the Raven Cycle. What do you guys think of the odd ships that the fandom has produced? And heart, heart, Maggie. (laughs) I do not think this is Ms. Steve Otter, but, you know, (laughs) that would be weird. (laughs) No, hi, Maggie. I think you might follow us on Twitter, but anyway, hello. (laughs) So, Shannon... Okay. Odd ships in the Raven cycle. (laughs) I have not done a deep dive into like fanfics or anything. Mm -hmm. So basically, like the only odd ship that I know that's not like, you know, and I guess it sort of kind of is in the text is Ronan and Kavinsky. Mm hmm. I know that that on the internet, everyone ships everyone (laughs) with everyone and everything. This is very true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so like what have you seen that has been oh, um all right so i'm gonna say i'm pretty ship agnostic i honestly am kind of like whatever i think the only ship that i really don't agree with is people who ship ronin and blue yeah exactly. that doesn't work that doesn't make sense but ugh. so and i and like i don't want to yuck someone's yum But I feel like that is problematic in Mm. certain ways. So obviously, OT5, OT6. So people who ship like (laughs) everyone, like 
Mm-hmm. All of the five, Noah, Ronan, Adam, Blue, Gansey, all of them together. And then OT6 adds Henry in there as well. Sure, why not? Sure, why not? Obviously, <laughs> hey, Blue was talking about, about, about group, group marriages. marriages. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've definitely obviously seen Sarchengzi, which is Blue and Gansey and Henry, who, okay. when you finished the books, you were like, are they actually together? I was like, technically, <laughs> no, but the mm-hmm. internet says yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and obviously, of course, there's Pinch, but people even ship like Adam and Kavinsky, Adam oh. and Kavinsky and Ronan, definitely big shippers with Adanzi, which is Adam and Gansey, Ronzi, which is Ronan and Gansey. Huh. Very few actual Adam and Blue, which I guess makes sense because they didn't work on page. Lots of people ship Everyone with Kavinsky. Lots of people ship Ronan and Noah because they have such a good friendship uh-huh. as well. I've seen Henry and Ronan, which doesn't really that make doesn't sense. doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I've seen Declan and Adam, Declan and no. Kavinsky, no. Declan and <laughs> like just basically, like you said, everybody gets shipped with everybody. I say really the only one that, you know, for myself it's Ronan and Blue, and that's more that's for, like... a lot of erasure problems Exactly. There. That is exactly why I'm not a big fan, and mm-hmm. it's basically taking a character that is very definitively not interested in that and putting them mm-hmm. in a situation. Right. Yeah. That's my opinion on shipping. Because, like, you know, Adam is very clearly bi. Right. And Ronan is very clearly gay. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shows no interest in... Shows no interest... And in fact, laughs hysterically when women try to be sexy in front of uh-huh. him. <laughs> so, but yes, I've seen all sorts. You know, I've seen Mora and Kella and Persephone get shipped together. Okay, sure. I mean, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Or Kella and Persephone as a couple, or, you know, it's just basically every combination. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic about it and have things that I enjoy too. So, and I, I've definitely gone down the fan fiction <laughs> rabbit hole. <laughs> Most definitely. The okay. only one you've shown me is one that like was an Adam and Ronan ship. So. Yes, there is one particular fanfic that I'm like, I'm not even interested in soulmates. Like, I don't even really care about soul marks. <laughs> there is one fanfic that I absolutely adore, and it's probably the one that I send to everyone. So... <laughs> Yeah. I liked it, too. It was really good. No, it's amazing. Obviously, I wouldn't pass it on if I didn't think it was amazing. Mm -hmm. All right. Moving on. Thank you so much, Maggie. And if you are on Twitter, feel free to get in touch there as well. Yeah, you can tweet (laughs) at us or send us direct messages there. That's fine, too. And then... I do want to make a listener request. Back in the very, very, very beginning of the Raven Girls, we had talked about releasing the deep dive notes separate from her show notes. And we only really did it with the very first episode. And I'm wondering if people would actually be interested in seeing our deep dive notes, what our research was. And yeah, of course, if you're listening to the episode, you'll basically get everything that we have. But I'm wondering if that might be something that people out 
side of listening to the podcast might actually enjoy. So if listeners could get back to us and see, hey, yes, we would actually like to see those, just get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. We could totally do that. Yeah, it'd be nice to kind of see if folks would like to see more of that sort of content from Mm -hmm. us, or if they think, well, we're listening, so we hear it all anyway, we don't really need Mm -hmm. it. So, okay. And with that... We're done. (laughs) Are we ready to be done? Yes, we're ready to be done. I think so. Yeah, we're ready to be done. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So thanks for joining us today. Our next episode will cover chapters 15 through 18 of The Dream Thieves. And there'll be a deep dive on the mythology of dreaming. Right. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun, too. Mm -hmm. However, our recording schedule, as always, is several weeks ahead of the release schedule. So please follow us online for announcements of what chapters we might be covering next. And send us your thoughts, because obviously we would love to have your contributions on the podcast if we can. Absolutely. Your questions, theories, fan casts, please contribute to the conversation. Mm-hmm. You can find us practically everywhere on social media at Raven Girls, R-A-V-I-N-G-I-R-L-S, on Twitter at Raven Girls, on Tumblr at ravengirls.tumblr.com, facebook.com slash ravengirls, and you can reach us directly at ravengirls at gmail.com. And we do have an Instagram and a WordPress and... I think we have everything. And and it's always Raven Girls. (laughs) Yeah, it is always going to be the same. (laughs) And if you want to get in touch with me, of course, substanceparty.tumblr.com. Tumblr.com or Gmail at substance party with the A's taken out S-U-B-S-T-N-C-E-P-R-T-Y at gmail.com. And if we have referenced a post or article in the podcast, we will do our best to include source links to those in the show notes. The Raven Cycle and all affiliated properties are copyright Maggie Stiebotter and Scholastic Incorporated. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and until next time, whoop whoop Raven Girls! It was the devil who drove him to church every Sunday. Actually, I'm pretty sure Ronan drove himself. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. man nobody touched my beaver uh, anyway <laughs> uh, it was the devil who drove in the church every sunday